You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Strong Towns podcast. Today, we are having a special conversation with Strong Towns Director of Community Engagement, Kia Wilson. And this is part of an ongoing series that we're doing on our site focused on personal and household resilience. So Kia recently told me that she had paid off $25,000 in college loans in a year, which I found incredibly impressive. She also mentioned some other achievements like paying off a car. She now owns a house. I thought I'd bring her on the podcast to talk a little bit more about this in the context of personal financial resilience. So Kia, welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Rachel. I think it would be helpful to start maybe with a little bit of your background and kind of what was your path from college to grad school to now? Right. Um, so that's a long story. But, um, the, the basic gist is I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and a little bit in Michigan. I had a really typical, um, which is to say probably pretty privileged upbringing where I was comfortably middle class, white, food secure, all that good stuff. And I had loving parents who let me take the lead on my college decisions, I chose to go to a school called St. John's College, which is a school that I'm going to say a bunch of things that's going to make it sound really terrible right now, but it's uh, the best school in the country. In my opinion, I have zero regrets about going there. It is an innovative experimental education that starts that is all required, has no majors, no formal grades, no formal professors, and no papers. And you study an all-required program of liberal studies that starts in with Homer in the ancient Greece and then works its way up to Virginia Woolf. It stops in the 1920s. So needless to say, not really an investment education. I did not leave school with some like extraordinary job opportunity. I did not really think of my education as an investment in my future career. I was lucky, I think, to have parents that encouraged me to think of my education as a way to start living my life and become a citizen in in the world. The downside, and here's where it's going to sound a little less good, is uh, St. John's was a private school and it was really expensive. And I knew going into it that I would have some college loans, but like I think a lot of people in my age bracket, I'm 30 years old and pretty classically millennial by most metrics. I did not know exactly how much I would have in college loans. And I did not know what that would mean for my life. And I graduated with about $25,000 in loans, which like I graduated in 2009. That was just an inch over the national average. Um, it was $24,000 that year. I looked it up once. <laughs> and I had to... Make make some choices about what I was going to do with that debt. And what I did at first, I mean, I'm going to kind of talk us through a few different phases that I don't recommend just to clarify. And just to show you how I got to my current way of thinking about personal finance is first, I just did what I think you were sort of implicitly encouraged to do 
in our culture, which is I got a decent enough job that paid me in the low 30,000s, but would enable me to pay back those loans. I restricted, you know, I, I got a budget. I found an apartment that was almost exactly 30% of my income. I got a dog because I thought that would make me happy. And I started just living my life and paying back those loans at the minimum amount every month. And I realized pretty quickly that this wouldn't work for me. I mean, it would work. I would not starve as long as I had a job that paid me about this amount. This was a sustainable-ish um, way of living, but it wasn't the way I wanted to live. And I started thinking about, you know, I was 22 years old and what do I want to do in my life that might, you know, have me living a slightly different lifestyle, might not look like me working at a low $30,000 a year job. And because I had this education that was very focused on what's the best way to live, what does my life look like if I have more freedom? So that's kind of an intro to me and what started me thinking differently about debt and finance and ultimately trying to be brave and talk about it here. I feel like that freedom concept, I've heard a lot of my friends talk about it. Most people in my age group aren't married, um, don't have kids. Like there's not a whole lot tying us down. We don't own houses, but the student loans is like the one thing that stops you from, you know, being able to just like go travel the world for a month or take a crazy risk on, you know, a low paying job or something like that. That freedom is kind of like the center of it. So what made you decide to more aggressively figure out how to pay off the loan? It's hard for me to say what made me decide to do it besides the fact that I wasn't super happy in this, like, by all accounts, very privileged simple life that I was living. And I was starting to explore some things I thought might be good. I thought about going to grad school. Um, and I should say that I did end up going to grad school at a place that paid all of its admittees full tuition, remission, and a stipend. But that stipend wasn't going to go very far. And I knew that I only wanted to apply to programs that would pay me to do them. But even then, I knew that I would need to find a way to adjust to living on pretty little a year. So I said I should experiment with this. And the first thing I did is something I would not recommend is I just went really, really hardcore about it. Um, I got really neurotic about earning as much money as possible and spending as little money as possible. And what that looked like for me was I had a nine to five job um, actually at the college where I graduated from. And I kept that. I, after work at my day job, would drive to this big box entertainment store called Hastings that was open until 11 and I would work until we were done mopping up at midnight. And then on the weekends, if Hastings would give me a couple other shifts, I would take those or I would babysit. I farmed myself out as a Craigslist babysitter. <laughs> um, got some good stories from that experience. But what ended up happening was I was working pretty much every available hour that I could, including sometimes working 
while I was asleep, I would nanny for nursing families, families whose, well, actually in both senses, were literally nursing children or and needed night support or who were working as nurses on overnight shifts and they needed someone to be there if their kid woke up in the middle of the night. Um, so I was sleeping and getting paid for it. Spending money became not that big of a problem for me because I had no time to spend money whatsoever. I was, you know, eating, but, you know, I would do things like I would eat ramen instead of vegetables and, you know, move to the smallest apartment that I could find. And I didn't see my friends very often. I was in a long distance relationship and like that was my social life was like conducted in like little weekend visits and things like that. It wasn't great. It worked. I will say that I paid off that twenty-five grand in about eight months um, when all was said and done. And I then said, "Okay, what am I going to do now?" And what did you do next? Did you quit those <laughs> extra jobs and like enjoy life a little bit more? Um, well, this is interesting. So, yes and no. Um, I did enjoy life a little bit more. I didn't quit all of the extra jobs. But what I realized when my loans were gone was that there was this expectation when I started telling my friends I paid off my loans, this is so great, that people were saying, what are you going to buy to celebrate? And I was like, what? <laughs> you know? um, like, I, I get the impulse. I, I guess I wasn't completely aghast at the suggestion, but... I was like, I just did all this stuff to rid myself of this debt and have this freedom. Like, why would I go back into debt on a credit card? And also, what? how am I going to be building up a buffer for my future if I just go out and buy myself a vacation right away, even though I understand that we need to enjoy ourselves? So I started looking around my life and saying, okay, I did all these things to earn more money and save more money and spend less. And what parts of that brought me joy is sort of how I, you know, not consciously, but like ultimately came to approach it. So one thing that I had done went in my ultimate debt saving quest was I had moved to a much smaller apartment, but specifically I got really lucky. I rented this apartment that I found on Craigslist under just the heading attic apartment, $400 a month, all utilities included, and it had no pictures. And I was like, I'll take it. Um, but I was really lucky that the reason this apartment was so cheap was that it needed a lot of work. And I was even luckier. I had landlords that were saying, if you want to do this work, we'll pay for the materials. And I had realized through this process, like I really enjoyed making my own space. And I had had actually kind of this awesome opportunity to learn some new skills while saving money. And I had found a way to save money that had brought me a lot of joy. I had also begun riding my bike for transportation a lot more. Um, I did have a car, but I found that I wasn't using it very often. And to save on gas, I started biking. And then I realized that I really loved biking. And I started getting involved in the cycling community in the town where I live. This was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, by the way. And slowly but surely, I mean, this is one of those things that's hard to put on like a into a catchphrase, but I started learning lots of ways that made me more spiritually rich and then also helped me start to develop a financial practice and financial values that would serve me later. So I got into grad school. Yay. <laughs> it was really exciting. I was able to, I didn't have to go into debt to pay for those 
um, applications, which are not cheap. <laughs> but well, I should backtrack and say that I only applied to schools in cities where I knew I could afford to live on the stipend. Oh, okay. And that is not strategic. a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was strategic that way. I ended up at Washington University in St. Louis because it seemed like an awesome program. It would pay me to do it. It would pay my tuition. And it was in a city where the rents are like frozen in 1975. So I was able to, um, I made $18,000, $19,250 now that I'm saying this out loud per year as a grad student. And on that, I was able to find an apartment that I split with roommates and my partner for $250 was my share of the rent and my utilities were very little as well. And I tried to start as I stepped more into my adult life. I don't know that I necessarily consider the couple of years post-college to be an adult life period. Um, I started trying to find more and more ways that I could cultivate joy and also save some money. You know, we just ran something today from Stephen Schultes about he has a similar idea. And I like the term he said, he used for it. He said, like, these are multi-utility investments you're making. Like the way that he spends his money is like, he'll buy a solar panel, like A, because it is nice to have the energy savings every month. And over time, that will make sense. But B, because it's kind of fun to learn a new skill, like how to put up a solar panel. You know, I learned how to sew, um, which is something I'd always wanted to do. And it seemed really impossible to make my own clothes or alter things. And now I feel like my wardrobe is more interesting because I learned this skill. It also saves Wait, me a lot of money. You really make your own clothes? Some, not a whole lot. I'm mostly altering things that I buy vintage because I'm like in a size that is easy to do that with. But um, pretty much any pattern dress you see me wearing, which is like 80% of my wardrobe, <laughs> is stuff that I've altered or made. So yeah, I found that it was an opportunity to make myself a more resilient person and a happier person. What sort of people either like in your immediate life or maybe people on the internet or people that whose books you've read, like, are there people that have inspired you and helped you figure out ways to live this kind of life? Yeah. So, um, yes and no. Um, on the no side, I have not found a personal finance like guru blogger book that really a hundred percent speaks to me. There are some that I think are really good, like Mr. Money Mustache. I don't agree with all of the rhetoric um, that he uses. My partner, Chris, is really into Mr. Money Mustache. And sometimes I'm like, let's stop talking about being badasses <laughs> and let's just like be happy people. You know, I like the way that he emphasizes that you are saving money, not like to amass wealth, but it's sort of like a, a lifestyle and a value system that's masqueraded as a personal finance blog. I think that's a cool way of looking at it. Um, but by and large, the things that inspire me and the things that make it possible for me to do this are my relationships in my immediate life. Like my partner, Chris, who I've mentioned a couple of times, we've been together for seven and a half years now. And I'm so, so lucky to have a partner who shares these values. Like if I were dating someone who their happiness really depended on going on a fancy vacation every year, I don't know that we would work out. He is really, really awesome at encouraging me at like providing, we provide resources for one another. Like I'm more into like gardening and, you know, more hands-on ways of like creating personal resilience. And he's pretty 
darn good at investing money, which is something that brings me no pleasure whatsoever. You know, I always stress out a little bit when it comes time to like pick a mutual fund or something like that. Um, but it makes him happy. And I'm, I've found someone in my life who compliments that. I'm lucky to have a dad who's a tax attorney, <laughs> like, and who is willing and doesn't look down on me for asking help, asking for help into my thirties now <laughs> with my taxes every year, which is not just like, please help me with Quicken Dad, but also helping me develop tax strategies that are this unsexy and kind of dry side of personal finance that doesn't get talked about as much on the blogs, but is so important to, you know, be able to contribute to pre-tax accounts and maximize them out. So, and then I also have to add like my friends. I should say that I don't go around talking about my personal finances and my friendships very often. I'm doing this podcast in part because I'm trying to challenge myself to be a little bit more open about it with my friends, in large part because my friends like me tend to be women. They tend to be in creative professions or working for nonprofits where a lot of this stuff isn't talked about. And it it certainly isn't talked about in a way that makes you feel hopeful and excited and joyful. It's talked about in a way that makes you feel fearful or ashamed for not making enough money, um, which I think is the opposite of how you should be feeling if you'd like to create a sustainable value system, one that will actually work for you, that will make you financially healthy. So my friends are really um, inspiring to me because they are willing to do things like instead of dropping a ton of money at the bar every single weekend, sometimes they'll go on a picnic with me or, you know, I'm lucky to be a member of a pretty active bicycling community. And like my number one hobby, something I do almost every week is I go on a group ride, which is free. And it ends at a pub which has two dollar drafts which like no one bats an eye if you don't order them because <laughs> you're just not feeling it and yeah your relationships are so important in personal finance and we don't talk about that in the same way as i think we do other areas of our lives are there any like apps or budget systems or things like that that have helped you kind of manage your finances and like prioritize your goals or is it mostly just all in your head figuring it out (laughs) apps not so much and i this is something that i i have realized over time is not the way everybody thinks about it but i'm actually not a big budgeter and i recognize that that's a privileged statement to be able to say that but that's because i learned how to budget from a really early age i had the benefit of really great financial education in the sense that I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, where John D. Rockefeller uh, was born and raised. And in first grade, they all gave us all these little ledgers and said, John D. Rockefeller kept a ledger of everything he spent. And that's how he became the richest man in America. And you should do that, too. Did I record every penny of my like $3 a week allowance that I spent? No, I did not. But it did instill in me a really er from a really early age that I should know where my money has gone. And while I have had periods in my life when I was much younger, where I've looked at my bank account and said, I don't know how I'm going to make all this work. I've never had a moment in my life where I've looked at my bank account and said, I have no idea where my money went. I've never had a surprise like that because it's easy enough for me to keep track of generally what my goals are. And the few times that I have tried, like you need a budget or mint or, um, 
one of those apps where you really rigorously record all of your goals. I found that if I set myself a $50 a month budget for clothing, I'm going to spend it. (laughs) Like, it's just like I gamify it in my mind. I end up not asking myself the hard questions about like, is this making my life better to do this? Is there a more creative way that I could like meet this need that I have, whether it's clothing or buying a computer or, you know, whatever it is that we all need to buy things to live, I say, okay, I have this money to spend, I'm going to spend it. And I find that a more introspective approach, which again, why I'm not a finance blogger or anything like this, this is hard to sort of codify into a method, is just to develop an active relationship with my own spending and think really closely when I find myself in need of something, whether that's food or, you know, picking where I want to live, think about not just what's the cheapest thing I can get or what's the thing that's going to make me happiest, but what's the sort of vertex between those two things? Um, How can I develop a skill that will help me meet this need in a way that would make me happier? What that ends up looking like is like, I don't do a lot of the things that conventional money-saving gurus and blogs and apps tell you to do. I'm not like an extreme couponer because I hate them and I think it's really boring. (laughs) Um, No shade on anyone who does like to coupon. But I do learn how to do things like make kimchi because I have not yet myself found an affordable store-bought kimchi and it brought me a lot of joy to learn how to grow a cabbage and learn how to like do this process that I find really delicious. I wish that I had like a go-to like do this kind of thing, but honestly the only apps and services that I use are like low-cost mutual funds, Vanguard, um, I would recommend to anyone who's looking to establish a retirement account. I use personal capital a little bit just so I can keep an eye on like my ratio of spending, but I don't set up alerts with it. I don't rely as often on metrics like that. I have a more intuitive sense of what I should be spending. I try, I try to. Yeah. So more like a general mindset that's present always. Yeah. A value system that's sort of like, we all have value systems and we don't realize it, but we live in a culture that says that the way to save money often is to spend money because we live in a consumerist culture, right? I can't tell you how many people I've known who have said like, I'm not making enough money I'm going to go apply to law school, even though I personally have no desire to be a lawyer. It doesn't bring me any joy. This application process is painful to me, and I cannot envision myself in law school. But that's what you do. You increase your earning power so that you can spend more. And I have a hard time with that. And I've tried to uh, cultivate an even stronger version to it over time because I think it makes my life better. So... You paid off your college debt. You made it through grad school. I know that you recently, or maybe not so recently, bought a house. How does that type of decision play into your financial frugal mindset? Enormously. So um, I, I bought a house, and more specifically, I bought a duplex. So 
St. Louis, here's my like another sales pitch for how awesome St. Louis is, is a really, really cheap real estate market. And when I started thinking about, does it make sense for me to buy a house? Is this something that's going to make me happy? And is this something that's going to save me money? I looked around and realized that multifamily properties often cost the same or less than single family homes. I had proven to myself that I could live in a small space and it actually made me happy. That apartment I mentioned way back in when I was talking about Santa Fe was an attic apartment. <laughs> so it was teeny tiny. You know, maybe a part of me said like, I'm an adult, I should have more space. But then another bigger part of me said a lot louder, no, you're an adult, you are going to have so much to do in a small space to customize it and make it your own. Why don't you buy something that's going to generate some income for you? And the more I looked into landlording, I was I'm lucky that we have a great community development corporation in our neighborhood that offers free landlord trainings. And I started taking those before I started looking for a house. And I decided that like landlording sounded really interesting to me, especially as someone who's an urbanist, especially as someone who I didn't work for strong towns at that point, but, you know, really enjoys thinking about how I could contribute to making my entire city more resilient, becoming a landlord and becoming a small developer, the smallest of small developers, I like to say, um, would be something that would make my life richer. And I looked forward to the relationships with my tenants. I looked forward to learning how to wrap a hot water heater in an insulating blanket and all this stuff. My partner shared all these goals, so we bought a duplex. What I did not anticipate is just how broken an old house can be. <laughs> it has not been all sunshine and roses to own a duplex. We have had literally name a major system of a house and we have had something go wrong with it despite having an inspection and doing everything right, we thought. But I will say that I don't regret it because I have learned a lot of skills. And more to the point, I have had some pretty great buffers on top of the purchase price for the house and the purchase price um, for the repairs we thought it would need. And I had a savings like amount beyond that, that I think we've, we've been able to tackle almost every challenge that we've been faced with. Buying a house is, it's wonderful. It's hard in a lot of ways because that sort of like, will it save me money? Will it bring me joy? Locus is, gets a little bit trickier to find when it's like, no, it would not bring me joy to replace my gutter this year. <laughs> but you got to do it. And does it bring me joy in a larger sense to have ownership over this space, to know that I'm contributing to the stewardship of my land and of my neighborhood, to be able to make modifications to this building that my house is um, 130 years old um, and I can preserve it as multifamily and continue to be a good landlord on top of that. Like, yeah, that all makes me really happy. And you kind of set up the structure to cash flow really well, right? Like you guys are living in the smaller half and the the other half tenants cover like almost all the mortgage. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um, our apartment is about half the size of our tenant's apartment. And like down the road, maybe my calculus will change and we'll want to move into the front unit. But I don't know. We, we really like where we are. And yeah, their, their rent does cover the mortgage plus a little bit for repairs. We have so far made like no profit on this, but we also haven't been paying rent, um, which is kind of great. So it's been a good decision. 
So with all of this like frugality and savings, is there something that you are saving for? Like I feel like a lot of people who are really intense about saving or, you know, anyone probably has thoughts about they're saving for a vacation or want to buy, in your case, another house or new car or potentially to be able to someday not work or work part time. Do you have any of those things in mind? I mean, I know you've continued to work since then. I mean, you mentioned that I, I might be interested in buying another house, and that is something that I'm thinking about. Um, specifically, since I've been working at Strong Towns, I've been thinking more and more about how I could provide even more affordable housing and what that would look like. Um, I'm interested in like co-op business structures and if I could start one and do something to really empower my neighbors and my tenants directly. That's down the road. I'm learning about it, and I'm taking it very slow, but that's something that's exciting to me, and it would be cool. But besides that kind of vague goal, which has no deadline whatsoever. I'm always sort of saving for opportunity and saving for flexibility. I want to be able to know that if something really exciting came along, or if I ever reached a moment in my life where I needed to reach out and say, this is the year that I buy a four family in an area that's disinvested, I could do it confidently and it wouldn't wreck me. You know, I've mentioned that I have like buffers on top of buffers on top of buffers. And those are more important to me to maintain than hitting a goal and then going out and spending that money as soon as I've hit that goal. That that stresses me out more than anything. And that, that is no judgment on anyone who lives that way. It's more exciting and less challenging for me to, you know, think about a time in my life when I can do stuff for fun that I maybe can't do as often now, but I do have a lot of freedom even right now at 30, just from, you know, about eight years, six years of doing this now that I'm thinking it through. Um, then, then some of my peers, and then I personally would have imagined that I would have had when I was younger. Yeah. And of course, you know, having that buffer of savings is also valuable in the event of, you know, some unforeseen emergency too, which I think, you know, is something that a lot of Americans are not prepared for, sadly. And so that kind of gets into something that you and I talked about when we were planning this podcast, which is that a lot of the personal finance pros and early retirement people like the four hour work week guy and Mr. Money Mustache and stuff. I wouldn't say that they make the lifestyle look easy by any means, but they do sometimes skate over the fact that there is like a certain amount of startup capital and societal privilege required to kind of like kickstart a lifestyle like this. You mentioned in our earlier conversation before this podcast, the kind of talking about the limits of financial self-determination. And you also talked about investing, which I think, you know, is something that goes into, I think, most of the lives of people who are able to like take an early retirement or not work as much as, you know, standard full-time job. And like knowing about investing is something that I think is a it's not a skill that a lot of people naturally learn. Um, it's a privileged position to be in to, to have the opportunity to learn about how to do all that. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Kia? 
Um, I have a bajillion thoughts on that because <laughs> it's something I think about all the time. I mean, like I mentioned my like second grade classroom or first grade, whatever it was, um, because I think it's really, really important that if anyone listening has kids, like you should talk to them about money. And that doesn't mean you have to sit them down if you are food insecure and say like, we're about to starve and you need to know, you know, um, I think that's a lot of people's fear when they talk to their children or on the flip side, if you're doing really well to make them feel like wealth is everything because it isn't. I cannot say how aware I am of the fact that I had a really good financial education. I had parents that came with me to open my first bank account when I was 18 years old and like sat me down and said, you're going to pay off this credit card every month. It isn't an option for you to carry a balance on this. That simple thing, even though I didn't, you know, have a sit down where my parents helped me do the budget or anything like is um, like in all those op-eds that we see floating around. Um, I, had an awareness of what money was that I had worth. I have been employable my whole life, which is something like you can all pick apart what that means on your own. I have been very, very lucky to have, as I've mentioned, relationships that have supported me and that like, again, I don't have a passion for investing. It isn't exciting to me with the exception of real estate investing. And I'm what I'm passionate about there is the opportunities it affords me to learn other skills, not, you know, watching numbers on a graph rise and fall. That doesn't make me happy. But I do have allies in my life who that does make them happy. Um, and like, none of this stuff is done alone. I think there's, you know, like some personal finance bloggers are a little bit more open about this, but like we tend to market finance as like, you know, here's a plan that you are going to follow. And like, here's like a couple of blog posts that say like, here's how you're going to tell your kids why they can't have like a bonanza Christmas this year or something like that. But that belies like how incredibly dense a web of privilege it, like we sit on when I talk about like no one's ever refused me a bank account. No one's ever refused me a loan. Um, no one's ever refused me an apartment. And I can only assume that's in some part because of the way others perceive me. Have I had other disadvantages? Sure. You know, um, I had a pretty significant medical debt in the middle, like just after grad school in the middle of my like personal finance rethink. Um, and I had to cope with that, but yeah, I think there's, there's so much to be said about the limits of self-determination. Another big limit is just like, sometimes you can't move. <laughs> and I do recognize that, you know, I don't have kids. I don't have people who depend on me with the exception of like, like financially, with the exception of my partner, you know, maybe someone listening to this lives in a high rent area and they really have no way of moving out of that high rent area, whether that's because they have a kid there who is not moving because their other parent um, wants them to stay or because they don't have the money to get together to like get a new apartment in a cheaper area, we can't always start over. When we start thinking of everything in our financial lives as I can't possibly do X, we shortchange ourselves from a lot of things that might make us happy. If you're young and you're listening to this or you do have some mobility, why not consider moving to 
the Rust Belt, where you can buy a duplex for under $200,000, sometimes significantly under $200,000. I have a friend who bought his first building for $50,000. I'm not kidding. He did that on a waiter's salary, and that's because he chose to live in the town where he grew up and chose to cultivate a happy life there. There are limits to what you can do, but there are also a lot of opportunities that you might be missing out on because you haven't sat down and said, okay, what's flexible? What's mobile in my life? And what am I going to do energy-wise and effort-wise to make some more room for myself to be happy and a little richer? It seems like a lot of the personal resilience topics that you're talking about also would potentially help to make more resilient neighborhoods and towns. What do you think are the connections between personal resilience and building strong towns? I think they're huge connections. And it's I'm really glad that we're doing this campaign where we're talking about this in lots of ways because it's impossible for someone who is not financially resilient to contribute in every single way that they would like to making their town stronger. I am a believer in the adage that you know, it starts at home, you know, to put it in a cliche way that a lot of the things that are my financial values now came out of my values as an urbanist. You know, I started riding a bike for transportation lightly when I was about 19 years old. And it started me on a path to thinking about my city in a very different way when I realized that the streets were not built to accommodate me. And it started taking me into neighborhoods that I wouldn't have necessarily walked or I wouldn't have necessarily driven on different routes. And I saw the world differently. I think that we live in a culture and this is like the the growth Ponzi scheme that we talk about at Strong Towns all the time that we convince ourselves that we need to continuously build in this drastically expensive and unsustainable way and go more and more into debt because that's the only way if you're not growing, you're dying, that you're going to get reelected if you're a politician or you're going to make, you know, enough for a bonus if you're an engineer. I don't know how engineering works. Maybe they don't get bonuses, but there's such an incredible cultural thing around that as well. We That trickles down to the way we think about our home finances too. Could you, instead of buying one thing that you're told is going to make you happy, whether that's a single family house or a new car or a really expensive education in a job that you were told is going to pay you a lot of money but won't really satisfy you, what if instead of that you learn to do hundreds, thousands of other small things that would make you a little richer. Like Time is at a premium. There are limits to it, but try it and see how you feel. I wanted to close by just asking if you have any general pieces of advice for people who are um, wanting to either maybe specifically pay off debt or just become more financially savvy. You know, you said that you probably wouldn't recommend doing, you know, the exact method that you did to pay off your debt really quickly by taking a bunch of jobs and working intense hours. What might you do differently or what would you recommend for people? Well, one thing I didn't mention is when I was in grad school and I was making that $19,000 a year stipend, I paid off my car in the first year and I saved about half of that $19,000 in the second year. Like this didn't stop when I paid off my debt. It doesn't stop now. 
as I make more money, I save more money. And right now I save about half of my income. I wish it were a little bit more. I've probably relaxed a little bit as I've gotten older, which is okay, you know, like, but I would probably be a little bit happier if I learned to cook some of the things I'm ordering in restaurants right now. So that'll be my goal I said for this month. But yeah, I mean, in terms of advice, I don't have a lot of it besides like do what personally works for you. And by that, I mean like scrutinize yourself and ask yourself, what are the things that I am spending money to make me happy? And how could I supplant that with, you know, I I like the way that Johnny Sanfilippo put it in his post today, household import replacement, right? Like if what I really love is like dropping $80 at the farmer's market on organic tomatoes and cucumbers, would it make my life richer to learn how to grow them? And if there are things that you don't like to do that don't bring you joy, but it feels like a real need in your life, develop a relationship, reach out and like work with your neighbors. And those neighbors can be like your partner, your closest friend. It's okay to not know all this stuff off the top of your head. There are lots of things I don't know that I depend on with other people. And I think using your personal finance as a means to diversify your own skill set, send you on adventures. Honestly, um, I've, I feel like I've, I've gotten to do some really cool things because I have this approach that I wouldn't have done if I had been trying to just spend my way out of a problem. Always develop your relationships and it'll make your, I think it makes your life better. I am very happy living the way that I do. It sounds like it. Well, I was personally interested in having this conversation because I'm a young person too, have some debts, have some, you know, hopes for the future of one day buying a house and things like that, someday going to grad school. So I feel like I have learned a lot. So I appreciate you being willing to share this when maybe you haven't been as willing to talk super openly. Because you're right that, you know, people don't talk openly about money very much. It's a, a pretty uncomfortable topic for a lot of people. So I hope that we can all take a page out of that and be a little bit more open about having these sorts of conversations uh, with our own friends and family and communities. Right, right. And and be honest, too, if you're not doing so great with money and you might be surprised by the resources you have available. There's so many compelling reasons to demystify this stuff. And, you know, I won't soapbox about that too much, but this is a real pleasure to be able to put my money where my mouth is a little bit. <laughs> Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, thanks, Kia. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.